Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. And we're back. I have always wanted to do that because I love Jimmy Fallon on Saturday Night Live. Welcome to episode three, friends. Our first interview. Yes. We are so excited to have one of our dear friends and longtime supporters, um, Summer Shine, on the program. We have known Summer for uh, years, really since probably like 2008, but I want to tell you a little bit about her. She is an entrepreneur. She is in recovery. She runs a sober living environment. Um, she is a hustler for good, and uh, she's an advocate for empowering other women, which is why we love her so much. She's a so, wife and a mom, too. She's a wife and a mom. I was going to let her tell us about who she is. Oh. But, um, you know, all those things obviously don't make up fully who you are, but that's kind of the space that you take up in the world. So why don't you tell us, like, who is Summer Shine? Tell us what you're about. Tell us why you're here on the podcast. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah. So that is my real name, Summer Shine. Yes. Yeah. That's a big one. Uh, first question. That's probably going to be the first comment. Um, I was born with that name. Thanks, mom. Uh, yeah. So I am a mother, a wife, a person in recovery, a child of God, sinner, Saint, all those wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a crazy journey. So I want to go back a little bit to how we met and uh, where our journey first began, because we've had this interesting kind of um, parallel lives in some ways of friendship and co-labors and this effort uh, for ministry. So back in 2008, we got together because a couple of mutual friends of ours met and they said, hey... Uh, let's go to lunch. Let's head to Barris, uh, which is a local Italian joint. And Mary, who sounds like she's packed a smoke a cig- or packed a cigarettes, a pack of cigarettes every day for about thirty years, yeah. um, or more. And she's just amazing. And so we gather there. We're in this little booth eating our pasta and uh, we're, you know casual lunch. We're talking about sex industry. Yeah, you know, <laughs> super cash, super cash. So we're talking about the sex industry, and we are diving into Jesus said love in the early kind of days. So this was when our ministry was going to monthly outreaches. Right. So we had kind of like realized we've got to be engaged in this issue, like in the women's lives, like every month. And so we were really kind of gathering volunteers to come on board. And that's when a mutual friend said, well, I've been in the industry and I have a friend who was in the industry. So tell us, tell us what that was like. Yeah, so um, one of my very best friends had met you guys, and she said, you've got to meet these people. They're so cool, and I met them at church. And um, and if she was thinking y'all were cool, <laughs> then y'all had to be cool, There's right? no question about the cool factor. <laughs> oh 
I mean, I was in the band for the love of God. Yeah. Cool. Cool is very relative. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so we met for lunch and, um, I loved what you guys were doing. You know, um, I had been, um, a club manager in Austin at a strip club and, um, I had also participated in some other highly illegal, uh, sex industry stuff. <laughs> and, uh, so, but never a stripper cause nobody wants to see me with my clothes off. So <laughs> there's that. Um, no, but other things, you know. Well, you were really honest at that point, which is what I loved, is you were in recovery at this point that we met you. Right. And you were um, admittedly a former uh, addict who was pursuing sobriety. And so you came on board within like the first three outreaches. You were like, I can take, I can actually run your ministry better than you can. Oh my gosh. Did I she ever... still believe that to this day, <laughs> that I'm pretty sure... Jesus said love yeah. should be helmed by me. I mean, yeah. I knew we you were in for it. You need one more thing to do, don't you? I, one more thing, one more thing. <laughs> I knew we were in for it. The very first outreach that that woman rode with us. Yes, front seat. And sat in the front seat. Okay. First, she, I, she number offered Number one, drive. I get car sick, she, okay? Well, she offered to drive, to <laughs> which right. I said, she absolutely knows. not. <laughs> she then proceeds to tell me how to go to the strip clubs that I've gone to for <laughs> several years, and now she's telling me how to get there. I liked my way better. Right. I don't like to be bossed. She's a three on the Enneagram, everyone. You should know that. Brett's an eight. Three and eight. If you don't know, already know that. Oil and water. (laughs) Woo! Um, We've made it this far. I freeze in that moment. I start start shutting down. Emily does. She's going to clean the kitchen, clean the cows, vacuum, put it all back together. Yep. We'll tear down, yeah. Um, Yeah. With the tornadoes in her life. (laughs) (laughs) And both of us come out on the other end like, what? That was fine. fun. Yeah, y'all don't just think fine. You're like, wasn't that exciting? We've yeah. got blood all over our face, yeah. so what? I'm like traumatized. Oh and Emily's like in the corner crying. Like, I need help. <laughs> I need some way to offload. Where's my yoga mat? <laughs> um, so yes, that was early days. So you started doing club outreaches with us. We I also did. ended up having... Eyeball to nipple, that's what I call it. Eyeball to nipple. That's you right. were eyeball to nipple. That's All right. of us were. Yeah. You can't be afraid of that. No, you cannot. You're going to go nope. you know, into the clubs. Um, and so you also joined our community group. I think at one point you start bringing lots of people in addiction recovery. Yeah. We even housed. Like, yeah, know? that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, You're welcome. <laughs> that whole thing just ended in a total... Total like shit show for Jesus. Yeah. On, a, on oh, the yeah. front lawn of a friend's house where addicts are messy. I think at the very end of it, all of us were questioning whether or not for we even believed in God. Right. And there's no doubt. And how would how would our relationships like repair after this kind of fallout? So yeah, we we were doing ministry together, we were doing church together, house church, uh, Bible study stuff together, which was really, fun, really funny that we were all cracking open yeah. the Bible trying to make sense of it. But I kind of think that's what, like, I mean, that's what people did, right? Yeah, in their oh, totally. early church. Hey, I mean, do you remember yeah. real, I don't mean to hijack, but that one time we invited the pastor who was on staff at the church we were going to at the time, we invited him to come. And the fact that, that, that someone said, well, I think it says this. And someone else said, well, I think it's this. And neither oh, of them had yeah. seminary degrees. Yeah. That was the only time they came. That was the only time they came. <laughs> 
He loved his doctrine. Hey, but wait a second. But wait a second. I want to talk about that because if the Bible is living and it applies the same as it did the day that it was written mm-hmm. as it does today, then that means a scripture for you may touch you in one way, but a scripture for me may touch me in another way. You now may be perceive careful. it. Uh-uh. Nope. <laughs> you are using your head, Summer. Oh, God. Not that. Summer Little has thoughts that are her own. Little old girl. You mean the Holy Spirit can talk to you? And he can talk to me? Well, mostly to me, Brett, because we all know that people like me better. That's true. <laughs> people do like you better. That's okay. You care a lot more about what they think. <laughs> I true care story. Less. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that was the beginning of our relationship, which yeah. was super formative, grew so much love for one another. And then that was around 2008. You and your husband get married. Brett and I officiate the wedding. I'm pregnant with Gus. It was the coolest thing. So I just want to give everybody a little image. Emily has a mane like a lion. Like she has this big blonde hair that looks like a lion. And she has on a full length mink fur coat. Faux. Faux fur. It wasn't Whatever. Real. It was a mink jacket, okay? And it went all the way down to her ankles. And she is nine months pregnant. I was big. <laughs> I was big. And uh, officiating a wedding, which I'm not even yeah. ordained. Right. So well, I just Brett love. is. Brett yeah. is. I'm, yes, I'm I, was there, I was there to I was give un- you okay. covering. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We're so thankful. Hashtag complimentarianism. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to get in trouble. No one's listening to this podcast. Yeah, everybody's um, listening. That's, that's the <laughs> that's funny the part. Scary yeah. part. Well, the ones who are listening may have just turned it off, yeah. but that's okay. That's I didn't right. digress. So, yeah. so we get um, we get married, or we get married. We yeah. got married, Summer. Yeah. You married uh, us. You did I, marry yes, us. Yes, we, we watch this wedding happen. We watch a relationship happen. Um, things are going great, and then your recovery is going good, and then there's this fall. So there, talk yes. to us about the relapse. That I mean, there had been maybe some little relapses, but this one sure. really took you to the darkest point in your sure, life. Sure, yeah. Well, I went I went super dark. Um, well, the thing that happened is that Ronnie and I had opened a sober living house, mm-hmm. and we'd raised some money, um, and we had put all of this effort into this sober living house, and um, it was bought by an, a larger corporation and shut down. Mm. And, and and none of the fault was ours, um, but I took a lot of the mm. fault for that. It took a, I felt a lot of shame and a lot of blame. And it had been so public mm-hmm. that um, that all I wanted to do was hide. Mm. And so I did. I, sh- I mean, we, we rented a house and we shuttered our windows and we went into a really dark place, Ronnie and I together. And... Um, and uh, I decided I don't want to be sober anymore. Mm. You know, I just it was a real conscious decision of, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna try drinking again. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna try smoking weed again. And um, history shows, and time and time and time again. And I have tried every which way not to smoke crack. Yeah, I'm just gonna smoke a little weed. That right. didn't work for me. I'm just yeah. gonna drink a little bit. That didn't work for me. It goes. I immediately go to the hard stuff. Yeah. It's real. And and um, I separated from Ronnie and. Uh, spent a, about a year and a half just in the darkest place I had ever been in my entire life. It was awful. It was one of those, you know, I was actively trying to die every day, right. commit, trying to commit suicide, trying to kill myself with drugs and alcohol, putting myself in very dangerous situations. And uh, it was the worst of the worst, always darkest before the dawn. And I have a question about that. So when you're, when you're back in that pit, mm-hmm. Do you instinctively, do you just remember the game, the street life game, like, like it's second nature or what, or had things changed? 
Well, yeah, I'm glad that you asked that because number one, I've never been in the game. I'm not good at it. I was raised, you know, my mom did the best she could to teach me manners. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I was the girl that would walk into a crack den where all these people were, you know, been up for days and robbing from each other and, you know, you know, robbing the neighbors and stuff like that. And I would walk in and stick my hand out and say, hi, I'm Summer. How are y'all? Nice to meet you. And may I get some crack, please? And, you know, thank you so much. And they could, I never fit in. I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, and really the, the sad part about it is that I started drinking when I was 12 because I wanted to fit in. My dad had married a new woman. She had two really cool daughters. They were older than me. They drank and I wanted to drink to fit in. And the thing that I was using to make me a part of quickly became the thing that made me apart from because I was so different from all the people I was using and drinking with. I was the person that went too hard. I was the person that they were like, nobody wants to hang out with Summer because she's going to pee your bed. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to hang out with Summer because she's, if you let her go to the bathroom with your sack of Coke, she's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And so nobody wanted to hang out with me and it isolated me so much. I was so isolated. I, and, and that, especially that year and a half, because I'd mm-hmm. separated from Ronnie, I was really going against the things that, the blessings that God had given me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was running from God. I was running from y'all. Mm-hmm. I was running from him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just running from everyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, all I wanted was human connection. Yeah. You know? And I think the thing for us that be- in that time period that I remember is, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you know, as you're running, I'm thinking, well, she doesn't want to engage with us. And why can't she pull her act together? Why can't she pull herself up? Like, why in the world is she taking advantage of all? Doesn't she know how great we are? Doesn't she know how awesome this church community is? Doesn't she understand what she has? You know, and so all this judgment all this judgment begins to like surface in my head and my heart, which I didn't even have language for then. I just thought, why can't she do the right thing? You know the right thing to do. Why can't you do it? I didn't understand addiction. I didn't, I'd never seen it so up close and personal. I feel like your life, I mean, in so many ways, like gave me a lens and it was this beautiful set of glasses on my heart that was like, adjust your freaking vision, adjust your vision because you love her. That's what was different. I wasn't, I I probably was trying to fix you, but I really loved you. Like Emily's a one on the Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would, I would say, I, I think it's also because you and I, Emily did not understand addiction. Right. And so we thought she's already recovered. Yeah. yeah, we thought well, recovery was what, like... What the hell are oh, you cool. doing? You're sober. What are you doing going to that house to get... You know better than... Why are you doing that? Right. Like, right. you know what's up. Why? Why? Sure, and that's... I think that's a common misconception is that people think that the addict has a choice mm-hmm. and they think that the addict is enjoying what they're doing mm-hmm. and that it's this pleasure point. And ultimately... The reason I drink or the reason I use drugs is because I like the the effect produced by alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. I like I like the numbing out. I like the the heightened sense of joy mm-hmm. that happens for about 30 minutes for me. Mm-hmm. What happens after that is that I have a chemical in my brain called THIQ. That's a those are the letters for it. It's really a long word, but I have a chemical in my brain that you don't have in your brain mm-hmm. that says 
once I get alcohol in my body, I have a, a reaction that says, you need more, you need more, you need more. And um, I don't have a choice once I start drinking. Mm. But I also have this obsession in my mind that says, you're like everyone else. Mm. You can drink like Brett and Emily can. Mm. Brett and Emily can have whiskey mm. at Bible mm. study. That was a thing that we did too. So. Summer. <laughs> we did a lot of things wrong. <laughs> things I don't know that that's wrong. Yeah, I don't no, know that's I, wrong. I, I just mean, I don't know that. Spurgeon did it. Yeah, sure. So I don't, I don't know that now knowing fully what I do, I don't know. I know you always have taught me, you're like, my sobriety is not your problem to manage. Correct. You have always said that. And yes. that's how you sponsor other people in the right. program. Right. So I don't ever feel, I don't ever feel bad drinking in front of you. Right. I don't ever feel like, but I also think be aware of our environment. Well, I and was going to say, we. I remember specifically asking, because I didn't want to have a glass of wine if that was going to cause you or Ronnie to... Yeah, right. To re, I mean, that right. would well, be a stumbling if, block. Hello? If my sobriety was contingent on the rest of society not drinking in front of me or using in front of me, I'd be screwed. Yeah, I true. like Snoop Dogg, okay? Right. I'm going to go to Snoop Dogg concerts. That's the thing I get to do in my sobriety everybody there smokes weed. Yeah, you smell it. Yeah, I smell it. I'm around it. It's not a trigger. It's not. not, No, it's something because I'm recovered now. Okay. And there and and there is a difference between being in recovery and being recovered. Okay. And and I can't tell you what the difference is. Okay. Because every time I've quit, I've wanted to not be using again. Every time I have said, I'm done using, I hate it. I want to be sober for the rest of my life. I have meant it with all of my being. Mm -hmm. Somehow my brain has tricked me into saying, you can try it differently this time. Mm -hmm. What is different for me this time is that I tried everything. Mm-hmm. I tried everything. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to drink hard liquor. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was going to let somebody else manage my money. I was going to, you know, surrender myself to the the fact that I couldn't have. I couldn't. I needed somebody to make sure that I didn't go get crack. You know, mm-hmm. like those were the things um, that I tried to manage my addiction. And and fortunately, I've tried them all. Mm-hmm. And so I'm at this point now where I know I know that if I smoke weed. I'm probably going to drink. I'm probably going to go get crack, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because I've tried it. Yeah. Um, and this time I realized that I had, tr- that my best thinking had gotten me back to the place where I'd been. Mm-hmm. And I knew I didn't need to think for myself anymore. Okay. So, Which leads us. Yes. To the night. To the night. <laughs> so you get to the point where you know you can't do it on your own anymore because you've done everything you can to stay sober and your thinking leads to bad outcomes. Right. So... We get to this moment, and this was probably 2012? 2013. 2013. September. Okay, September of 2013. So back that up by four months when I called you. No. No. So back 2013. Like four days. Okay. Okay. All right. So there's the timeline. So 2013, uh, Gus is three years old now. All the kids are sleeping. And I wake up in the middle of the night. I hadn't heard from Summer in months at this point. Right. And her, I knew her and Ronnie were separated. Um, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I thought <laughs> all I heard was, call Summer. I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? It's 2 a.m. Like, I, I, I'm not going to call her. She's not going to answer. I don't need to. And... It's like, call summer, call summer, you know, arguing with God. It was like Jacob wrestling with the Lord. And by 4 a.m., I finally was like, okay, I'm calling summer. What? If I call summer, 
<laughs> if I'm supposed to call summer gone, like, what am I supposed to say? And the only thing I heard was, it's time to come home. And I was like, oh gosh, like, really? Yes, it's time to come home. And so that's when I called you. So take us back to that phone call and where you were at. Yeah. So um, I was in New Orleans. New Orleans, Louisiana. It's one of my favorite places in the whole world. Love it, love it, love it. Um, Even still, the place of your darkest moment. Yeah, yeah. And I'll touch on that in a little bit. I'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, But yeah, if you you are an addict or an alcoholic and you want to find the very end of yourself (laughs) to get... Head on down to New Orleans. <laughs> Somebody's waiting for your soul there. So, um, yeah, but I'd been in New Orleans. And like I said, I was actively trying to die. So at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'd left my hotel room. You know, I was surrounded by strangers. Mm-hmm. I was surrounded by people I didn't know. In Staying in one hotel room from the next, you know. And so... At four o'clock in the morning, again, all I want is like genuine human connection. Yeah. And I thought, well, somebody murders me. That's genuine human connection, right? Wow. I mean, really, this wow. is how my thinking is going at the wow. time because I'm sick and I want to die. Wow. And so it's four o'clock in the morning and I think I'm going to go down to the French Quarter and I'm going to walk through every alley that I can. Wow. And so I get down there and I'm walking through alleys and this dark shadow steps out in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know that here it is. Here's the time angel has come. The angel of death. Like I am ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so I'm ready to just give my life over to this dark figure. I mean, like a big dark dude comes out and then just a moment, a flash later, this like flash of lightning comes down, strikes the dark figure, the dark figure's gone. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. And when I say holy, I mean, Right. You know, like, it was very holy. yeah, it was super holy. Absolutely. And I knew, I knew right in that moment, get back to your hotel right now, get back to your hotel right now. And so I did, I hightailed it back to my hotel. I'll walk in the door and before I even sit down, my phone rings and it's Emily mm. and it's four o'clock in the morning. And had it been 12 hours earlier or 12 hours later, four o'clock in the afternoon, there's no way I would have answered. Mm. But I see a phone call from Emily Mills who has three kids and I know those three kids are asleep at four o'clock in the morning. And so I'm thinking that someone back in Texas is dead. It's not me. Somebody else has died. And this is the punishment I get for being in it. You know, I'm thinking I'm being punished. Somebody's died. And so, and I thought that they sent, had Emily call me because Emily and I were so close. Mm -hmm. And so Emily calls. Mm. And at that point when I say, come home, what I remember on the other end of the line is it all came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were like, I was like, where are you? And you're like, I'm in New Orleans. I've tried to kill myself several times. I, ha- I think you had a huge abscess on your arm, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they kept waking you up and you were so mad you were alive. Yeah. I signed a do not resuscitate order in New Orleans because the same nurse had resuscitated me three nights in a row. And, and I, and the third night I woke up cussing him out. I was like, what the, what are y'all doing? Like, I've, I am clearly trying to die. Like, why do you keep resuscitating me? And he said, it's my, when I became a nurse, I made a, an oath that I would do my utmost to save the lives of the people who are in in my care. Mm. Um, and so if you don't want me to save your life, when you come back here tomorrow night, you can sign this do not resuscitate order. And then the next night was the alleyway. Yeah. <clears throat> I, when I went back to New Orleans a year later, I went back one year later for the first time after I got sober um, on my 11 month, I had gotten 11 months sober 
And um, I had to call the hospital ahead of time to rescind the do not resuscitate order. And because I was going to run a marathon. Yeah. I was going there to run. <laughs> I was worried that I'd pass out I on the trail. I was just yes, kidding. Yes. That's but a different me. You want to know what's crazy? <laughs> it is harder to rescind a do not resuscitate order than it is to fill one out. Mm, wow. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. I want to find that nurse. Oh yeah, you know. Did you when you went back? Did you go to the alleyway? Where you, like, could you go to that same alley? No, Do you remember? remember? I have no clue. Yeah, where you were. No clue where I was. I mean, if you you've been down to the French yeah. Quarter, everything looks the same. You start getting turned around, and mm-hmm. the names are in French. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> so I call you and I said, it come, "It's time to come home." And you said, "Okay." Like I'm done. I'm actually scared. I saw this dark figure. I I feel like. I'm going to die and now I'm scared and and I'm ready to come home. So we booked a plane ticket. You actually got on the plane. You're still high. Drunk. <laughs> Drunk. <laughs> and uh, coming in hot. <laughs> coming in hot. So you get to Austin, Texas. I think you flew to Austin, Texas. And was your car there? Because somehow you drove. Yeah, my I think I flew into Dallas and my car was there. Okay. Yeah. And okay. so and then I drove back to Waco to meet you guys. Okay. Yeah. You surely you drove back sober. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> Another. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's the deal. Your criminal history's clean. Mostly. Yeah. Okay. So in like 2006, I was arrested for possession. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And I spent like uh, 60 days in jail. Yeah. And yeah. But all the things you had done on the street, all the things. Oh, my God. Rooms, I mean, <laughs> you're clean, you know, your record, which is just we don't understand that. I think sometimes, too, that addiction has a different set of consequences for each person. Well, yeah. And also, um, I come from a rich white family. Exactly. Let's mm. talk about that. Yeah. I mean, in some ways. I mean, I, I have white privilege. It's very, uh-huh. very easy for me to look a cop in the eye and bat my eyes yeah. and say, but officer, it wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah. And middle class upbringing. And yeah, there are a lot of advantages that you had even in your addiction to be able to get. Even in my addiction, I never feared talking to the police. It's horrible. It's a horrible society that we live in right now, because right now, you know, my son's best friend is a young black man. And from the time that he was 12 years old, his mom taught him that if a cop pulls you over, you do not make eye contact. You don't raise it. Yeah. You put your hands out and fingers open, you know, and I never had to teach Hagen that, you know, what I taught Hagen was you be super nice to them and you say, yes, sir, no, sir. And Mm -hmm. you just smile and make jokes with them. And that works for Hagen. So as a woman, though, a lot of the women that we work with in the sex industry have been abused by cops, that their arrest has been, it's been an exchange of goods for them to go, you know, and that too begins to be like a bargaining chip that women have in their back pocket. Um, But all that to say, you are coming in hot, uh, driving in from Dallas and Brett has the idea I did have the idea because to, what was going to happen to was you the next a, morning you were going to drive her. But what was the idea? Right. Well, I'm just saying okay. why. Because I knew that you were going to put her up in, in a recovery place. And so I thought in my own thinking, well, this is kind of her last night of freedom, if you will. So we'll put her up at a really nice hotel. And so I you know, <laughs> swung for the fences and decided to put her at the Hilton, which if you don't know Waco, Texas, oh that is gosh. our high rise hotel. It is extremely nice. 
um, the president of Israel stayed there when the president was the president, okay. President Bush, whatever, <laughs> irrelevant. My point is this. I didn't want to just put her in a standard room. I put her on the concierge floor so the she could have free breakfast floor. and free this. And she had to have a key card to get on that floor. Little did One I know that she was going to show up still on it. Like so on it. And I was on, so it, on it and I would, and I had this like bright idea to come down. And so I was going to take this combination of pills and alcohol. And I remember Emily like called a doctor to see if I would die from that. And he was like, nope, let her come down. Yeah. You, he was like, trust me, you want her down, not up. Right. And so, um, I had these two bottles of wine and some pills. You were asking us if we wanted some wine. Yeah. I was like, no thanks. I'm like, I know you drink. Yeah, I was like, that's okay. <laughs> I don't drink Moscato. It was Moscato. It was like, Sick. Sixth grade, it was so sweet. Junior high girl. No, I yeah, don't want any. I love Moscato. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, but it it didn't put me to sleep. It made me hallucinate. That's Do you remember that? I started hallucinating, and so I couldn't stay in the room. Yeah, and so I, I was going to go for walks. I was, I, I, who knows exactly what I did because I was in kind of a what you would call a brownout mm. from that point until. The following Monday mm-hmm. at Perpetual Help Home. I didn't mm-hmm. come to until four days later. That's right. From that, from taking all those pills and drinking all that wine. And we had met at the Hilton with a group of people who were very invested in your life, who loved you. Now, I, I mean, I don't even know if you remember, but there were several yeah. oh, I remember. women there. And, oh, yeah. and we were, you know, praying for you and, and we were just encouraging you to turn over anything that could harm you. And you did, you turned over a lot of dope, dope. um, not as much as you had, we would find out later there was still in your car. Right. Yeah. In your car, which then came to my car. Yes. (laughs) We'll, We'll get there. So, so at that moment you turn over kind of everything, but your one thing that I didn't even think about taking from you, which was your keys. Yes. And your keys are what the next morning you had been up all night. You had been wandering around uh, the Hilton. Roaming Management the halls. was super like, who's responsible mad. for you? Who yeah. booked this room? And how do we call them up here? And so by the next morning, you had the bright idea that you were going to go surprise one of our friends yeah. for breakfast. Yeah, you just yeah. were going to. One of our friends who uh, lived in a multi-million dollar house, <laughs> school teacher, she taught at a private school, and she had two teenage boys. <laughs> school-age boys, and I was going to go have breakfast with them. That's right. Did I tell you I was hallucinating? Right. Yes, exactly. And I got in my car and uh, totaled it, wrapped it around a tree. Should have died in that accident because when I went back and looked at the car, the steering wheel was touching the seat Mm. where I was sitting. So the steering wheel was touching the seat, but I was uninjured. Remember, I was unharmed. Yeah. And, um, And it was one block away from a group of school kids that were waiting for the bus. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so again, here you are. So actually, your husband called me, who still hadn't left you. Yeah. He's still married to you at the he time. He had filed for divorce, though. He had filed for yeah. divorce, um, which we were in support of. We, right. we talked to him about... Everyone was in yeah, support of Yeah, we were like, listen, you have every reason to leave. And, uh, and he, he, so he filed for divorce, but you never got those papers. That's yeah. another story right. of really incredible redemption. But that morning, when, when you wrapped your... your car around that light pole, that metal light pole, he called me and he was like, I, I'm, I can't. And so you're going to, if you're taking her to the recovery home, this is where she's at. So I show up there in my nightgown. It's like six 30 in the morning, six 45 ish. And the cops are changing shifts. They have to be back at the police station at seven to change shifts. 
and they let you go. Yeah. I should have gone to prison that day. I mean, that should have been, that should have been when I went to prison because I had paraphernalia on me, I had yes. drugs on me, I had open container of alcohol. And when the cops moved all my stuff from my totaled car into your SUV, and when we got back to your house to take all my stuff out, they had laid everything, like displayed it. Do you remember that? Mm. They had kind of displayed it on top, mm-hmm. right? The yes. bo- liquor bottle was sitting on top. The Yeah, so fun times. Yeah. So you get to the perpetual help home and, um, and your life is different. You end up in a few short months coming up with a business plan to stay sober, which brings us to, brings us to current day. Um, and so JSL had the opportunity to invest in the business plan. Eventually you got your first seed money from perpetual help home, um, a year or so after that, or maybe not even a year, a year and a half after that, you'd paid back that seed money and you were ready for $10,000 investors to come on board with Luna Juice Bar. So now, which can we just stop for a second (laughs) and talk about the fact that here's this woman (laughs) who has Turned her life around in like less than nine months. I think you were there at yeah. Perpetual Yeah, I was at Perpetual for four months. And I then, wrote the business plan at six months. And then so you work. write this business plan, and then you pitch to their team, and you get your first like $5,000 grant, which was awesome. You did it all on your own. We helped you a little bit, but it was yeah. just more about what yeah, about we were this there. or that. I remember it being was, there for that. And right. we were there with you, and you just totally slayed it. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was even going through my own anxiety <laughs> for my own <laughs> issues, and I remember going there in the car. I was having a full-blown anxiety yeah. attack. And now you're like talking to me. And well, I'm I like, had to drive, and Summer from the backseat is preaching to Brett. She's talking about to me, and I'm like, wait, no, and- that's not the nature of our relationship. The nature of our relationship is I tell you <laughs> what is good and supposed to do. But now the table was flipped, so there was kind of that really cool holy moment yeah. in the car. I'll never forget. Um, but the fact that right after you did the $5,000 thing, you got that all taken care of, you got your business going. And then you realized it was successful. Yeah. And so then you came up with the creative idea. I want four investors at $10,000 each. And then not only did you know that you wanted that, you had the courage to then go ask. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. No, I don't want you to, I don't want you to just give me the money. I want you to invest in me. Right. Because I want you to teach me how to do business. I want to be held accountable. Which brings us to, and we'll have to do a follow-up episode with kind of all that transpired, but which brings us to, and what I kind of want us to to go out with is at this point in your recovery, you had learned, I can't do this my own way. That's why right. was it so, why is it so important that surrender? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's kind of like breaking a horse. A horse is really no good until they are broken mm-hmm. and can do what their master tells them to do. And then the horse leads, you know, they're groomed well and they're taken care of and they can be shooed, you know? Um, and, and that's what happened in my life is I was wild. I just really thought that I knew how to do everything. I thought I, I thought I had my shit together and I could do it all on my own. And when I learned that I couldn't is when God really started to show off and he did, I mean, in big ways, God has shown off in my life. My husband's still married to me. Mm. Like he filed for divorce, but never had me served. Mm. Um, I think cause he's lazy, but <laughs> that's just between us. Yeah. It is a lot of work to have somebody work. served, especially when you don't know where they are. Exactly. So it really was a lot of work to have me served. And so, um, and my relationship with my son is 100%, if not even better, both of those relationships are better than they were before. And with my mom and, you know, people trust me. And every time I, you know, every time I get a problem, a problem is presented to me, I work on it. That is the nature of who I am. Mm-hmm. I work on, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to fix this problem. And 
I come so quickly to the end of myself doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes me about 24 hours before I'm like, oh, wait a second. God can do this. Mm-hmm. This is a thing God can do. And I'm freaking out. What I have learned is that if I have to struggle to get something, then it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And that's been something that's been real important to me. And it's mm-hmm. something I learned really early in my mm-hmm. recovery this time. So, mm-hmm. um, Jobs are important to you because it means it, j- dignity. Yes. It means purpose. Yes. And so talk to us about why Luna is so important to you. Yeah. So I created Luna because I thought it was going to be this place where I had a hobby and something to do and it was going to keep me. I'm one of those people that's like either smoking crack on the east side, living the hood rat life, or I'm waking up every morning at 5 a.m. to work out and meditate and make smoothies and do stuff like that. And if I want to live on that realm, that's what I was trying to do is create a place for me where I could still be in the food industry because I love the food industry, but it's kind of toxic. And so I wanted a safe food industry place for me to be. And what it has morphed into is a safe place for women who are in recovery. And so now we hire people who are in recovery. 90% of our staff right now are women in recovery and they are killing it. They are doing an awesome job. Our GM has two years sober, has regained custody of her daughter, and she is a rock star in the kitchen. You know, our our front of the house manager is also, she used to live in Sunshine Recovery House and she's got a year and a half sober and she's just regained a lot of her life. I mean, it's just so cool cool to see the miracles happen. And I get therapy, free therapy every day. <laughs> and you're healthy. You're yeah. the most healthy, sober person. You're the most sober, sober person I know. You're not even drinking coffee. Not even coffee. Not even coffee. <laughs> I don't even know how you do it. AF. That's right. But I think what's so beautiful now is that you do provide women a place. Um, you also run a Sunshine Recovery Homes, which we can, again, deep dive later, but the partnership... Yeah, as if the for-profit world wasn't enough for you. You're, you're just going to go into the non-profit You're now diving into non-profit. Well, you saw a gap. I did. You, you saw a need for women in recovery who needed short-term sober living uh, environment. That's right. And who could go to work, show up at a job, and go home to a stable environment. That's right. And so you're meeting that need through Sunshine Recovery Home. And um, what's beautiful for us is that our access program and our access participants, we get to have this collaborative effort uh, together. And you also sit on our dream team, which is a board of um, entrepreneurial women who have started their own businesses or who have a hand in business, and they're giving microloans to our access to students. So it's just a beautiful, beautiful all the way around. I I hear three more episodes. I mean, really, we could talk so long (laughs) for these 30-minute shorts. But what I believe, do you want to say something? No, no, I'm good. Y'all, y'all are doing great. You looked pensive. You yeah, looked you like well, I, I was going to, gonna, yeah, you, yeah, whatever. Just keep what? going. What, what, I wasn't, no, I don't want to have to. <laughs> so you can find us at. <laughs> That's right. So we'll have three more episodes probably um, because this story could go on forever. It's so much deeper mm-hmm. than just um, a collaborative partnership. It's so much deeper than just a friendship. It's so much deeper than just ministry endeavors. Um, it's a web of greatness. Yeah. And what's so cool that I call it a tapestry because mm-hmm. webs are gross. That's well, <laughs> so maybe it is a web. <laughs> we kind of can get gross. <laughs> yeah. But the cool thing is, is that we've learned to, I think a lot of people compartmentalize their ministry. They compartmentalize mm. their friendships. They compartmentalize their business relationships. And we have, it has not been pretty. No. It hasn't been pretty. It's yeah. It's family. It's That's family. right. This is messy. Mm-hmm. This is um, what real life looks like. And so we haven't compartmentalized any of it. When we sit down at a table together, we may start off talking about the weather, but we may 
end up talking about, you know, our ministries and how they intersect. And the cool thing is, I think each access run that y'all have had, one of the girls has lived at our sober sure. living house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for yeah. sure. Um, I think, Summer, what I said earlier, but I'll say again, is you helped me see. And so I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. Um, deeply grateful. Deeply. I, I will say. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you helped me feel. Mm. Oh, an eight said that. You have helped me feel empathy in areas that I thought, just just get your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. to realize, I mean, the conversations we would have on my couch where I would, you would, you would allow me to ask you really intrusive questions about mm-hmm. drug addiction. Brett's yeah. very curious. Like, oh, what yeah. is it? What does your body feel like to smoke crack? And you would mm-hmm. carefully walk me through that. And I, I think that was cool because you'd have been, you could have been like, "What's well, none of your business? Don't right. take me there." Right. But um, I think through those conversations, just through me getting to watch you and watch your work and your struggle and your fight, mm-hmm. has made me feel for you, even yeah. when you're the biggest pain in the ass. Ever. <laughs> And I am. And we will fight for one another. And we'll continue fighting because love is absolutely worth the fight, Mm -hmm. which is also a song we wrote that you can look at on iTunes. I will link that in the page. Link it in the page. (laughs) Um, And... We just want to thank you so much. If you want to check Summer out, tell us where we can find you. Yeah, so uh, lunajuicebar.com, of course. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, SunshineRecoveryHouse.com will actually lead you to our Facebook page right now. There is a uh, website to come. We are also having a big fundraiser in March, March 23rd. It's called Rolling for Recovery. You can find all the information on our Facebook page. Um, Yeah. And And come by Luna. Yeah, vote vote for me in the next president's presidential election. Oh, write in? You yeah. want to be a write That's in? right. If you are in Waco, Texas on your annual or pilgrimage to Magnolia, yeah. you can always go to the Silos yes. and encounter Luna Juice Bar as great. one of the food trucks at the Silos, which yes. Summer fought for from the beginning. Yeah. was awesome, and she landed that as well as her um, brick and mortar on Austin Avenue. Yeah. And if you want to come by JSL, of course, we would love to give you a tour of the building so you can see everything that we're doing at 1500 Columbus, Waco, Texas. Don't forget to find us on the web That's at right. jesussaidlove.com, social media at Jesus Said Love. That's right. And if you can't listen on uh, iTunes and you're an Android user, you can go to jesussaidlove.com backslash podcast, where we'll have everything in this episode linked so that you can find it easily. And don't forget, if you're an iTunes dude, go and like push the star button. Subscribe. And like put, you know, tell us what you want to hear and say how Review. awesome it is. If you think it sucks, we can handle it. But maybe just email that to us. Don't put it on the iTunes thing because that'll get weird. But help us get this word out here. We're going to continue to have these conversations with so... We have like this huge list of people. We're not going to tell you who they are because we want you to keep coming back. Um, But thanks for joining us Thanks for joining us. And as always, please remember to share the love.